Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 125. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are stepping back in the casino for a Monorail Radio roulette. Thank you so much to our listener, Kelly, for throwing us some numbers. And the jury's out. I We may have landed on a jackpot here in the casino this week as we landed on Kronk's New Groove. Had you seen Kronk's New Groove prior to this week? No. And I love Emperor's New Groove, but never got around to this one. Well, that's why I'm saying, like, the jury's still out. It might be a jackpot because I love Kronk. I love Patrick Warburton. He's our chief flight attendant. He's Kronk. But these straight-to-VHS or straight-to-video sequels can be hit or miss. I mean, I think... The Return of Jafar by far is the best one. Hands down. But some of them are not that great. So I'm really interested to see what they do here. Something of note that this film did that a lot of others did not do is that they got the full original voiced cast back for a straight-to-video release. That blew me away, especially Eartha Kitt. I did not think that she would have come back for a sequel. Yes. Was it worth coming back for a sequel? That's what we are going to discuss right now. And this episode is sponsored by Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms and more. Listeners of Monorail can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Instagram and Etsy and search for Hidden Mickey Supply Co. for all your straw charm needs. Now stick around to the end of the episode because we have a way that you can win one for free. Kronk is a cook in a restaurant, which he finds to be a rewarding career. While at work... Um, he learns that his father, Poppy, is coming to visit, and he wants to see Kronk's wife and kids and big house on the hill. All of these things are a sign of success. None of these things that Kronk actually has. We learn that as a child, Poppy didn't approve of Kronk's cooking, and that nothing he ever did amounted to anything. And all Kronk wanted from Poppy was a thumbs up. And he's going to tell you that a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. Kronk tells us that he used to have all of these things because now we're starting to learn a little bit about Kronk's backstory. Flashback to a day where Kronk was making food deliveries at his restaurant and he visited his retired friends at their senior's home at the top of a hill. It turns out that Yzma is alive, and she has quote-unquote decided to turn a new leaf. She tracks Kronk down and tells him that she's developed a youth potion, which the retirees have been desiring. She convinces Kronk to sell them the potion in exchange for a commission so that he can buy his house on the hill to impress Poppy. He agrees and they start buying, this is the retirees, start buying large quantities, believing that the potion works, but it is in fact a total scam. 
The retirees tell Kronk that they're willing to sell the senior home in exchange for money to buy more potion, and they sell the house to him. So he writes a letter to Poppy, inviting him to come stay over. Kronk soon realizes that Yzma's potion was fake, but now all of the seniors are broke and ready to elect Yzma as emperor to show their appreciation to her. Kronk exposes her as a fake, and the seniors chase after her. Yzma drinks her last potion that turns her into a little rabbit, too cute to attack. But then she's picked off by a big hawk, and the seniors head back to the alley that they now live in. Kronk, feeling horrible, gives the seniors their home back, giving up everything he had in exchange for doing the right thing. Because we know, ultimately, Kronk is a good guy. In addition to this, we also see Kronk as a chipmunk troop leader at Camp Chipmunga. His troop is a consistent award winner, but a new counselor named Birdwell has arrived to take his award. Birdwell runs a very tight ship and is immediately appalled that Kronk is all about the competition first instead of doing what is best for his young troop. The troop tells Kronk that they're upset over the idea of losing their trophy, so they become determined to win at all costs because they want to do it for Kronk. The two troops trade wins over the course of a competition, and it all comes down to a chipmunk cheer-off. After running their troops ragged, Kronk and Birdwell decide to make raisin bread for their troops. Apparently, this is like the universal peace offering uh, amongst the chipmunk troops. And after bickering whose ingredients belong to who, the two reconcile and bake, quote-unquote, beautiful bread together. So Kronk <laughs> writes his dad another letter saying that he has found the woman of his dreams. The next day, while everyone is getting ready, Tipo, one of the chipmunks, and it is uh, the, the, the middle child of... Pacho, or yes. Pacha, the middle child, uh, he makes an itching powder to put into the hand chalk of Birdwell's troops because, well, Kronk said we have to win at all costs, no matter what it takes. When the powder takes effect, Kronk takes the fall for Tipo, and Birdwell tells him to never speak to her again because all Kronk wanted to do was protect the child. Back at the restaurant, because now this has been flashing back and forth over the course of the entire film. Uh, back at the restaurant, Poppy arrives. So Kronk tells Pacha, who is dining with his family, that he wants to, quote-unquote, borrow his wife and children and home to impress his father. At first, the plan works, but it all falls apart as all of Kronk's friends help stage this farce, and all of a sudden, he's got several families several wives, several houses, all while he's trying to complete his dinner rush. He is just back and forth trying to put out flames in the kitchen and put out flames in the restaurant. Eventually, Kronk confesses his lies, but his friends tell Poppy that Kronk gave up everything he had to protect his friends, so he finally gets the big thumbs up. Birdwell ar arrives, she has now returned, and everyone lives happily ever after, except for Yzma, who is attacked by little baby hawks, because she's still a rabbit. So, a lot is going on in this movie, 
it's all told in flashback. So if it seems as if that's sort of a confusing plot, it, it's just because they're flashing back and forth and back and forth. Really, to me, it feels like this is two shorts almost and the common thread is that poppy is coming to visit and that's sort of what ties them together but you're right it is flashbacks Mm -hmm. before we get into the film though okay i have been trying to find the answer to this question and i feel like it's kind of a chicken and egg situation obviously he wants the thumbs up from poppy right yeah poppy So which came first, the thumbs up from Poppy or nice work, pal? Because Soren opened on May 5th of 2005. And this film was released on December 13th, 2005. Right? So they came out the same year. I have to imagine the voice work was done for Kronk's New Groove before or or around the time that that Soren came out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm wondering. I'm wondering if that's a tip of the cap. In which right? case, I loved Soren even more. And I didn't think it was possible to love Soren more than I love Soren. But I'm wondering what was conceptualized first. Like if he knew, if, if Patrick Warburton knew he had this movie and then just threw it in to Soren because he knew he had it coming out. Or maybe the Soren script was a hat tip. I really don't know. I, I, can't, I can't nail this down. I want to live in the world where that is a tribute to Kronk. That's the world I choose to live in moving forward. I'm good with that. I mean, I have to imagine he was excited to get a sequel because Emperor's New Groove is great. It is one of our favorites. We have reviewed it on the show before, but that's just that that was a staple in my house. That was always yeah. a popular one. Yeah. Well, and we'll go ahead and link that in the show notes as well. So I have to imagine that a secondary character getting their getting the full sequel was probably very exciting. Uh, it's not something you see often, but I do think that this was the way to go as opposed to giving Cusco another movie because, you know, he turned the leaf over. We don't really need to see, you know, like h- how else would they have made him grow? Right. I feel like his story was told. I think for the most part, Pacha's story was told. So I think naturally, yeah, shifting to Kronk because he became such an endearing character and such a funny character. People love Kronk. They still do. Uh, you know, this is a character that's been around now for 20 years, now over 20 years. Gosh. Um, I think naturally that's the only way that you could go because doing a return of Isma film, I think would be too much of a pull from the return of Jafar. And you've seen it. Usually anytime they do a sequel like that, it's like, oh, the villain's not actually been eliminated and here they are again. Yeah. And and Cusco and Pasha, are, they're in a good place. We don't need to really open that up again. Right. And I mean, it's like you said, what, what you love about Kronk is that he's just supposed to be a henchman. And I think that that was something that's what makes Emperor's New Group so enjoyable is that they do it differently. He's not just the muscle. They gave him all of these layers and, and they pepper in all of these hobbies. And, and that's why you're just so attracted to him to, to want to know why someone that's, that's supposed to be evil got roped in with Yzma. Right. And That's you, actually the backstory I would have liked to see. Yeah. And I kind of wish that they would have tied that story in 
to getting the thumbs up from Poppy. Right. Because what we got here, I, I don't want to spoil the entire review, but I feel like if you're going to give a character a sequel and you want to delve into why this character is this way, I would have rather seen him as a child get put down by Poppy over the cooking and he is sort of despondent and he is sort of like a lost soul that Yzma poaches and convinces him, I'm in good with the Emperor, I'm in the palace, I can make us both rich once I get into power and then you can have the house on the hill. Like, I feel like that would have been a better way to go but I don't know that it would have been quite as funny. I think that's the thing. Like, they were trying to do something really lighthearted here. Right. And I'm not sure that it works as well as if they would have fleshed out how he even got to Yzma in the first place. Right. And that's what I'm saying. It's That's what makes him so entertaining is because he's just supposed to be this big brooding character. You see it all the time with a security guard or, or you know, the the underboss, so to speak, yeah. or the muscle, which is what he is. And they don't have a lot of lines and they're there to do one thing. But that's what makes Kronk st- such a standout is because they they gave him so much more substance than that. So I think it was definitely worth delving into to, to see what makes him so interesting and that he's not just his job and he's so much more than that. But yeah, that's what we're going to talk about is did they do it the right way? I like that when we open, it perfectly parallels Emperor's New Groove, that it starts with a voiceover and we meet our main character in quite a predicament. Yes. Was not expecting cheese, though. Yes. When when the film opens, you basically see the restaurant he's working in explode with cheese going everywhere. And it's just, it's so crunky the way that it opens, where he's covered in cheese, and all he says is he wants his teddy bear, and he forms this teddy bear with the button nose out of this, like, melted cheese, and he goes to hug it, and he, and he just pops it. He kills it, um, which is a funny visual just because he is so big and brooding, and he's trying to be so gentle, but you just tell that at the end of the day, he's just cronk, and try as he might, he is at times his best foil. And I love that they open that there. And I love that Cusco starts popping in and interrupting right away. And I love how they break the fourth wall. Yes. I mean, they literally say, you are here to watch a movie. And I know sometimes that doesn't sit well with you when they call out that you're watching a movie. But I think the way that David Spade plays it, and it's it's just so like on brand for Cusco that it doesn't take me out of the fact that we're watching it. I mean, to the point where they literally pull up the movie posters and show them to you. No, I love a good fourth wall break when it is done intentionally for comedy. What I don't like is when something happens that is so obvious, it makes you feel like you're watching a movie. This, I think, was done perfectly because really they brought Yzma back. There's no real way to tie Cusco in here that was going to to move Kronk's story forward. So if you're having him pop in and out as a narrator and, and kind of doing like the wink and a nudge to the kids, 
I, I think that that was a really smart choice. And it, it was just as entertaining to watch as an adult. Yeah. And I'm again, this is where you, you, you're really surprised that David Spade would come back when it's no longer his movie. I mean, it's easy enough to do. Like, this couldn't have taken him more than a day to do all the dialogue for it. So it's a quick paycheck for him. So I can see the appeal of wanting to do it. But, you know, I give them all credit for coming back for such a minor part in Kronk's movie and that they were all just down to do it. Yeah. I like where the film picks up as well with Kronk working in the restaurant. Yes. Because you see he has that really funny scene where he jumps behind the line um, when Yzma and Cusco are cheese, no cheese, cheese, no cheese. You know what? Make my make my potatoes a side salad. That scene from the first movie. I'm glad that that carried over here. We're in the same restaurant. I'm glad that Pacha shows up. There's that bit of familiarity. And right away, they jump into, here's this telegram and Poppy is coming. And you see how scared Kronk is. So they don't waste any time getting into the motivation for the story. The one question that I have after watching the whole film is, you know, what exactly is our timeline here? Because it seems like an awful lot happened in a very small window. You don't get any reference for how long Kronk and Yzma were ripping off the seniors. You don't get any clue as to how long he's been working in this restaurant or when this chipmunk, uh, you know, when when the troop thing happened. That's the one thing that I am kind of left confused with. And it's, it's, it's from the jump because he starts laundry listing all of these things that he told Poppy that he has. Mm-hmm. For them to then expand on it, like, I should be asking this question at the end of the episode, but after a few viewings, I find myself asking this question right at the beginning. No, it's a good point, because I I thought he was now the owner of this restaurant, so it's a legit question, how did you go from the fall to fall from grace to working your way up the ladder because I think what people forget is that he he didn't work there he just stepped in during that one scene and that's again what makes Kronk such an interesting character it's like how does he know all to do how how does he know how to do all of this stuff um and it's not just at the restaurant too I had forgotten that he also makes Cusco's dinner. That that was the whole thing. Isma invited him to dinner, and um, Kronk is supposed to make the dish with the poison, and he switched the vials and ended up turning him into a llama. But Kronk was also preparing the meal. And almost burned his spinach puffs. Exactly. Um, no, but you're right. It does sort of make you wonder what happened in between and is he the owner of this restaurant now? Because he kind of seems like the one-man show except for the waitress that he's telling the story to. Right. So you you get right into this. They're all back together and you get into this storyline where he is running deliveries to the senior home. I like this storyline for Kronk. I love it. Because... Like I said, he is the nice guy. He is the good guy. And if this film does one thing very well, it reiterates time and time again that Kronk really is a good person. 
So I love the fact that he is making a delivery to these seniors that he has befriended them. I mean, at some point he calls Rudy his best friend. Right. And he doesn't want to accept the tip from them because they try to tip him. And they say, this is this is so that you can finally buy that house on the hill that you've always wanted. So I like the fact that through a little bit of dialogue, you see that there has been a relationship built where he has kind of poured his heart and soul out to these people and that they think enough of him where they're trying to get him to, you know, the, get him to the place where he's accomplished his ultimate goal. Right. And it just goes beyond him delivering food that there's clearly the foundations of a relationship there. I'm also really happy that they brought Rudy back and gave him some substance because in in Emperor's New Groove, he was a literal throwaway character, which was terrible. He was constantly getting tossed out of the palace. I always appreciate when Disney does that, that they're populating the movie with people that we already know instead of just inventing new characters for the sake of. Yeah. I love in this scene as well where Kronk is laundry listing. Actually, I think it's with Pacha before he even goes to the... Uh the retiree's home and he's he has like his business card or his id card and he's laundry listing all of the stuff he does at the restaurant and they get like like the legal copy that you've seen in every used car commercial where oh my they talk so quickly and when it gets to the phone number it's eight six seven five three oh nine you're going to have to explain that for our younger listeners there was a great song called Jenny, 8675309, you've heard it, by Tommy Two-Tone from the 1980s. It's a classic, and every time you get like a fake phone number since then, it's 8675309. So if you, if you younger uh, listeners have no idea why that is the phone number that's always used, go listen, I'm sure it's on Amazon Music or it's on YouTube for certain, Jenny, 8675309 by Tommy Two-Tone. Excellent song. I'm I'm not going to give the I'm not going to tell you what the song is about because I don't think I can really do that on a Disney podcast. But go and listen for yourselves. It's a lot of fun, and I love the fact that they threw it in there. I think this film does a lot of that actually, where they pepper in the adult humor that's kind of over the head over the head of a child, and that's the first time that they do it. That's the first joke. Definitely, yeah. So now. Kronk eventually does get his tip because this, you know, the retirees just basically make him do it and and he throws it in his piggy bank and you can tell it's not a lot of coins in there. And he steps outside and there's a coin sitting on the steps. And instead of picking this is just, again like I thought this was really smart. Instead of just picking it up or trying to get it for his piggy bank, did anybody lose this? It. Did anybody lose this? He doesn't even touch it at first. Yeah. And it turns out that it's bait and that Yzma left it there for him. Now we get the return of Yzma. And sometimes when they bring a villain back, I don't really buy it. I'm not interested in it. Give me something new. In this case, I'm thrilled, though, because I love Yzma and Kronk as a one-two punch, and I always have. They're so great bouncing off of each other. And what I love that they did is that they still made her a cat hybrid yes so she's still she's not back completely she's not back full force and she's living as a refuge and in this scene you get one of the funniest lines in the movie where she says to Kronk 
I have a proposition for you. Oh my God. And he literally gags. And she's like, a business proposition. It's hysterical. Well, that was always a running joke in Emperor's New Groove. And they use such a clever device to keep bringing it up because you would see Yzma up on the screen and then Cusco would be saying all these horrible things about her through voiceover. And it was so well done and so fitting for David Spade's sarcasm. It just worked so brilliantly in Emperor. So I like that they figured out a way to recycle it here and they keep the gag going, but they made it fitting to this new way of telling the story and and just did it in the moment. Yeah, and there were a few jokes and some things in the first movie that insinuated that other than being a uh, right-hand man, that he was kind of a boy toy. And so I like the fact that they carry that over here because there was a certain bit of are they or aren't they that never really actually got answered in either film. You're right. Now, I'm not always one for recycled bits because I feel like sometimes in sequels, it's just lazy. They recycle the lever bit. Everyone's favorite part. And you know what? I am totally good with it. Well, it was such a thing. It was such a big quote that came out of the first one. It was something that everybody loved. It's something that people still do. Like on TikTok, they had a pull the lever challenge, which you've probably never seen. But it it, it was just such a brilliant when they do the videos, like they would splice it and make it look like they were falling. It was really clever. You got to see one. Um, But the difference is that they one up it here and they make it different because then you go into a small world spoof. Now, this is another thing that, at this point in time, kind of like really played out, except it's not. It shouldn't be perfect, and it's perfect when they end up on Yzma's version of It's a Small World. It's really well done. And this is where, yeah, they even though they're recycling things that we've seen before, it doesn't matter. It doesn't get old. I love that she turns into this snake oil salesman. And that she's going, that she knows that she can get to Kronk if she convinces him that he's helping these seniors with this potion. Oh, she definitely preyed on, on, on exactly what Kronk is. We're talking about how we know he's the good guy. And now, you know, he's able to show that and share that with everyone. And she yanks him right back in. Yeah. It's his, it's his Achilles heel. When they come up, does that scene not remind you of Pete's Dragon when Terminus shows up and he's selling those elixirs? Absolutely. I mean... A little bit of that, a little bit of Sweeney Todd. Yeah. But sticking with Disney, yeah, that's exactly Doc Terminus. Yeah, and I want to talk more about that later because we do get a musical number out of that, but that was the first thing I thought. And I love the fact that... Kronk, because at the end of the day, he's a nice guy, but he's still a blunt object at times, right? Yes. I love the fact that these seniors are willing to sell Kronk their home so that they can keep drinking this elixir, but because they're happy, he thinks nothing of it. He doesn't recognize the fact that he is inadvertently 
taking advantage of them. No, and it's a really good balance that they sold the home to feed their addiction as opposed to Kronk just saved up the money and now he has enough to get what he wants. Because A, he's not going to take their home. He's not going to buy it if they're still living in it, obviously. But it does set you up for later that they're, they've been buying into the, not only just buying into the lie, but now they're addicted to what Kronk and Yzma are selling and they figure out a way to, to deliver on it at the end of this portion of the film. Right, because if he just had enough money to go buy any other house, you lose the entire movie. Exactly. You, you lose the, the good guy part where he gives the house back to them when he realizes what he's done is wrong. And there is a certain element, too, where he gets entirely carried away because it's not just that they gave up the home. He does have money now. He hired these two women to work as his assistants. He's got this huge estate that he he's almost running like a business at this point, waiting for Poppy to come. Yes, and he's got his railroad track with Pancake Junction. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. What's great here... In everything that leads up to him eventually, we'll, we'll talk about it in a few minutes where he exposes Yzma and does give the house back. There's this great scene when he's in the house with his assistants and Rudy comes in naked. Rudy <laughs> is naked. He has nothing, not even the clothes on his back. He has gotten rid and sold everything to keep drinking this youth potion. And... He's this old man with the crooked spine and he's got liver spots. I'm not trying to like make this disgusting, but they pay off on this so well when Kronk says, I'm going to spot you a bottle and it is a total Gollum spoof of Lord of the Rings where Rudy starts in with the my precious, my precious. It's it's so perfect and and I got to say, Disney got lucky. Disney got lucky because Lord of the Rings continues to be a viable entity that people are still watching and talking about, and they're still getting sequels. There was a real opportunity here to date this movie with an outdated pop culture reference, and, and Disney got lucky where that's not the case here. Right. I was honestly shocked that they did that because you are really committing when you do something like that. And it's one thing to say it in a throwaway line. It's entirely another to animate Rudy as Gollum. It's not, it's not like Yoda who's established at that point. Right. And I mean, it, it does work for the joke. You couldn't do that with Yoda, but it was a big risk, but I would, I would say big reward because Lord of the Rings is still so prevalent. What I really like about the scene too, is that it's a hat tip to the source material because this was, obviously Emperor's New Groove was based on Emperor's New Clothes. Yeah. So at first I was kind of like, why are, Why would they have him sell his clothes? I mean, obviously they're trying to establish that he's addicted to this stuff now. But I was like, clothes, that's such a weird way to go. And then I, I realized the tie-in. So I thought that that was kind of a good thing that they did. Um, I also thought, you know, we didn't, we haven't really hit on it yet, that it's so funny that they not only want this youth potion that they did get addicted, but they got addicted to the placebo. Yes. Which I thought was a really interesting turn for this to take. Right. 
and that all gets exposed when Rudy and Kronk, when Kronk confesses that what he did, and this is actually a very powerful scene because yeah, um, Kronk confesses to Rudy, we robbed you, we lied to you, I lied to you. And Rudy just puts his hand on Kronk's shoulder and he gives him a smile. This was a really, really good scene. Yeah. And so now they go to expose Yzma because she's getting elected emperor, which, as Kronk says, I didn't know that was an elected (laughs) position. But they are just about ready to throw all of their support behind her for all of the good that they did in making them young again. And they expose this placebo effect. By the way, it to me, I have to like say it once or twice in my mind, placebo, because for my entire life, I knew what a placebo was until it came out. And they had uh, the joke where the kid called it a gazebo because he didn't know what the word <laughs> placebo was. So because of that one line now, placebo is something I need to tell myself like three times before I say it because I have slipped before and said, it's the gazebo effect because of one <laughs> line in it. I just want to throw that out there. But this is a great scene too because not only do you get just an out-and-out funny chase with Isma, but a lot happens here. The first thing that happens is that the old-timers see that, you know what, we're only as young as we, or we're only as old as we feel because they are sprite and they are limber and they are moving quickly to chase after Yzma. And it's the first time, other than the placebo effect, that they legitimately do not feel old. That doesn't land as hard as I wanted it to. I mean, you don't really need to drag the scene on a little bit, but there was no big exclamation of we never needed this in the first place. You do get the we're only as young as or we're only as old as we feel, but there you don't have that moment where it dawns on them that it doesn't matter. They never needed the potion, which would have been also more powerful playing back into we just gave up all of our money for well, nothing. I, and I think that it's partially it's 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 partly the way that the line was written and i think certainly the way that the voice actor played it because it was it was like very 101 look guys we didn't need it the whole time we're only as old as we feel i just wanted more of a punch i would have liked it more if it had come from cronk if it would have been him realizing it and I think you're right. The, the point is there. I think the heart is there, but it does miss. Where the scene really does conclude beautifully, though, is when Yzma takes that potion and says, I will turn into something that even you can't defeat. And she turns into that little pink bunny, and they don't want to harm it. And as she's saying, you fools, I've tricked you again. I She gets snatched by a hawk. So brilliant. So unexpected. Where I thought it was going was that she was going to have to live as a bunny so they didn't track her down and she was going to become like the new senior home mascot. This was way better. This was way better. So that storyline concludes and then Kronk launches into now here's how I lost my girl. Right. We go back to the present and then it's another story that he's telling the waitress. Right. 
let me ask you uh, uh, before we get into it. How do you feel about that? That we does had to Kronk take a need break. a love interest? No, 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 no. I'm fine with does he need a love interest because this, the point of the story is he's supposed to have a wife and kids in the house on the hill. So we've already addressed the house on the hill. But Kronk concluding one story and then having to introduce us to another story. I, I think it's a little jarring. I would have liked it if if one thing would have caused the other and he would have just continued narrating and here's what happened next. Like, in other words, he he gave up his house on the hill. He has no more money. So now he's gone to doing this uh, Camp Chippamunk troop. We know that he's doing it because we saw it at the end of the first movie. Squeak, squeaking, squeak, squeaking. So if he does that again, just so that he has a place to go. Like, I didn't have that anymore, and I didn't have my savings, but I knew I could have a home if I was with the troop leading them on a camping trip, and I ha- at least I had my tent, or I had my cabin, or whatever it was. If he had nothing else, and this was what he fell back on, and that's what led into the introduction of the Birdwell character. That's, because I also don't know yeah. what happened first. Right, right. No, and that would be an interesting way of going about it. The way, Like I said, this does feel like two shorts that are woven together with the poppy thread. So you did need to sort of come out of the one story and go back in with some sort of connective tissue. So I'm okay that they went back to home base at the restaurant and that he's recanting the story. As far as this version goes, but what I wished for the entire time was that they had found a way to blend these two stories together and that, Maybe the senior home was your A story and then your B story is the one with the kids and his love interest. Or, well, actually, no, the the love interest should really be your A story and the senior should be your subplot. Right. Um. So I think, because that's the thing, both, and, and I don't want to get too into this because I don't want to spoil my full review, but I feel like if we're looking at them as shorts, it feels like a lot of information is crammed into a shorter time. So I feel like the story might have been served a little bit better to have them run parallel and have both of them play out over the course of the film before Poppy got there. Right. Instead of doing act one seniors act two, Miss Birdwell act three Poppy gets there. Yeah. Because at times it feels like you're watching two different movies. It really does. It definitely does. So, you know, maybe maybe it would have been better served if he had met her doing the the chipmunk counselor thing. She wanted to get married. He promised her a home. How are we going to pay for this home? Oh, we're going to steal link from back seniors. up with Yzma and then steal from the seniors and then everything falls apart on him. Yeah, I think there's there's a number of ways you could have woven these together where they may have been a little bit more coherent and a little bit less jagged and jarring. You know, as opposed to I mean, I it sounds more confusing as you read the plot, but if you read something and it sounds that convoluted and that like broken apart because I, I don't have a better term for it. it. It does. It feels like the movie's broken into pieces. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not terrible because they at least give you the reason. And you don't go right into it because they do have this little scene with the waitress. It's like, well, I was down on my luck. And then I, I guess as far as the timeline goes, this did come next because he said, and then things got worse. 
Yeah. And the whole thing is that what's the criteria for Poppy? The house on the hill, the wife and the kids. So we've seen him lose the house on the hill. Now we're seeing him lose the wife and kids or his future wife and kids. It just would have been nicer to have it all all happening together. Yes. It's it's not awful, but it could have been stronger, yeah. I actually like this storyline with Birdwell. Birdwell is played by Tracy Ullman, who's good in everything that she does. She's fantastic in this. She's great. I like this storyline. I like the fact that you have these two very dedicated troop leaders. I like that they mirror each other in many aspects. And I like the fact that she, as similar as they are, they're very different because while, you know, Kronk, we know that Kronk is good to those kids and he loves being a chipmunk troop leader, but you kind of see the fangs come out a little bit in him when they're trying to win this contest. We're going to crush him and we're going to this and we're going to this. And I like the fact that Birdwell as by the books as she is, is ultimately the softer character, which when you think Kronk, you don't think you're going to get a much softer character than that. Well, I disagree because he made spinach puffs. I think that softens him quite a bit. Um, I go back and forth. I mean, I think as far as giving him a love interest, this was the way to go. You know, what 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 other way were you going to set this up? Were you going to have her stroll into the restaurant one day? This gives it more stakes because obviously the chipmunks are something that he cares about a lot. He loves the kids. And, you know, it it rounds him out because he cares about the elderly. He cares about the children, too. So, again, you're you're building up that he's a good guy now. So what happens? They go for his Achilles heel again and you have this person who is a threat to something that he cares about very much. So I think that as far as them being competitive with with each other and that blossoming into a romance, that's pretty much a given. That's very obvious. Um, You know, I think it's, I think it's totally fine the way that they went about it, that they agreed to squash all of the, bickering for the sake of the kids and just have a friendly competition that all works for me what does not is the name calling Uh, birdie poo cronky poo i can't and if it was once or twice i could as much as it makes me cringe i could deal with it but it, it it they must say it at least 20 times over the course of 10 minutes yeah, if I have one complaint that, you know, some of the complaints with maybe the pacing, I I kind of like, I can get over some of that. I can look past some of that. This is one thing, though, that I, I agree with you. This was my big note, was I can't look past this. Once or twice is funny, but the way that they do it over and over and over again, it gets less and less funny every time they do it. It's gushy. It's gooey. I, I, for one, don't find that funny. I and now ultimately, I think that you know this is a film for children. Although there are a lot of adult jokes in this movie. Yes. Um. This is you know kind of the things that I wish we had seen in Monsters U, um, where there were more adult jokes in there. Um. You get that a lot here, 
so I understand where they're where they're trying to make it silly, but it's too much. It's too much too fast. It's it's far too much and we've already seen the softer side of Kronk. That's set up it it was set up in the first one. It's really established here, like I said, with the with the seniors and the kids. So we don't need him more ooey gooey than that. We know he has a good a, a good heart, and I think this almost cheapens how good he is because he's still like I I guess I would have almost preferred that she was judging him based on his size and stature and wasn't expecting the softer side of him. Right. And instead, it's oh, you just care about winning. It's all about the competition with you. If if she would have made that assumption based on his appearance and then learned, you know, no, he bakes raisin bread and he loves these kids and he'll take the fall for them. That would have been a better means of going about it. The groove tonight bread scene, though, I personally think it's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, I don't care that they animated it with the thriller choreography because that's just funny. It's choreography, you know, but to see a a character you're familiar with break out those moves, it's hysterical. Uh, And is, is it slightly unmotivated to have a dance break? Yes, but you also forget this is the sequel to Emperor's New Groove. Emperor's New Groove was not a musical it was a series of dance breaks. So I kind of like that they did a little throwback to tie in the first one even better. But the way that they set this up with um, it, eventually the, they close the colander and it turns into this disco lamp, that's hysterical. Yeah. It, it does kind of unfold pretty naturally. They they replay or they remake the Lady in the Tramp meatball yes. scene. Um which should be dumb, but it's just because I'm already laughing so hard that I see that. I, f- I feel like if the scene was would not have been funny, that that would have really fallen flat. But because it is so funny on its own, um, I really didn't mind it. But this is where there is a... When I talk about the adult humor, most of it is in this scene with the, we're going to bake beautiful bread together. Like... The insinuation is there, and a kid is not going to understand that. And and basically, these scenes are where you get the most of that. You also get Lion King music. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, like, at this point, um, again, like, we've talked about it on the show where we're going to need a bigger boat. When, when you start ripping off other movies time and time again... It's sort of the hallmark of lazy screenwriting. But for some reason, I don't really get that here. They they reference Titanic with I'm, I'm on top of the world or I'm the king of the right, world or whatever. Right, right, right. You know, like, I don't know why, but like none of it upsets me the way that it does in other movies. And maybe it's just because I have a soft spot for Kronk. But I'm interested to get your feedback on that. Like, at some point, did any of this get played out for you? I mean, for a movie that spoofs the Disney parks, Thriller, Titanic, Lion King, Lady and the Tramps, and, and Lord of the Rings, I should not enjoy it as much as I do. I should be sitting here rolling my eyes. But those actually are the things that I do enjoy most about it because they are so well done. And, you know, you are taking, except for Lady and the Tramp and Lion King, you're, you're taking 
live action and animating it. So that's where there's a little bit of a different twist that does make it so funny. Um, but yeah, the things that bother me about this film are, are not anything that got recycled. And I think that's it. Going in, I, I think I may have lowered my expectations a little bit because you know it is a Kronk sequel and you're not meant to take it seriously. But no, none of those things really get old. What I like here, when you get to the final competition, the cheer-off, um, at first I was like, why a cheer-off? But when you see how they play it out with the itching powder, I suppose it makes sense. Um, Tipo literally takes what Kronk says to heart, and he goes, well, he said, win at all costs, no matter what, so I'll just cheat. And he makes this itching powder... And there was an opportunity here where Tipo eventually gets caught and Birdwell is scolding him for you could have hurt somebody, you cheated, you this, you this. There was an opportunity here for Kronk to say, Tipo, why would you do that? Well, you said win at all costs. And you're like, but that's, I, I didn't mean it like that. I meant you work hard. If there would have been like an aha moment for Kronk to mm-hmm. kind of grow a little bit as a character, that would have been fine. But I think I like what they did more. Kronk could have done that. And they could have played it out that way where he sort of covered himself a little bit and had a little bit of a growing up moment. But instead, instead of doing that, it meant more to him to protect Tipo, and he totally takes the fall for something that he he didn't say it, but he didn't not say it. He never said cheat. He just said win at all costs, and you had a, a five-year-old kid or a six-year-old kid who took it way too literally, and he took the fall for him. Well, I guess that's why, because he did say take it so literally, and he did say it he he's totally taking ownership of what he said but in this case he's a foil to himself again because we know that's not how he meant it we know he knows that's not how he meant it but it meant more to him to protect the kid than it was to turn it into a learning experience does that make sense what i'm saying here yeah yeah instead of using it as a a teachable moment he's but and that is what I like about it too is it because he just does realize this is what I said I didn't give him any other explanations than that there was no context there were no stipulations and now Kronk just has to deal with the fallout right and the fallout is he cost himself birdie poo (laughs) um so now we've come full circle here we are now we're back at the restaurant and Poppy has arrived. Yes, we're not quite covered in cheese yet. No, we're, we're almost there. there. But Poppy has arrived. And Kronk schemes up this, this elaborate story. And he's going to borrow Pacha's family and Pacha's house to impress Poppy. But meanwhile, Tipo has escaped. And he's running everywhere saying, Kronk's in trouble, Kronk's in trouble. I love this scene where the scam falls apart. I think it's hysterical because now you get Rudy dressed up as a woman. You get 
Pacha dressed up as a woman. You get Cusco dressed up as a woman. And they're all trying to pretend to be his loving wife. And then you get the rest of the seniors or all of his loving children. All while he's trying to, again, put out fires in the kitchen, put out fires in the kitchen, or, or, or put out fires in the dining room. It reminds me of Mrs. Doubtfire. Yes. And I think that's why I like it so much. I'm going to disagree with you. Uh Uh-oh. I should love this scene. I feel like they squandered it. Really? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm totally on board with... Again, I mean, we just set this up in the scene prior is that he took the fall for Tipo. So... Kronk didn't explain exactly what he needed. He asked Pasha's wife to pose as his own, but now everybody who knows about him and everybody who cares about him wants to help him in this situation. And that's why you get three wives showing up and and the elderly playing his children. That all works. And you're right. It it does unspiral like just like Mrs. Doubtfire. But thinking back to The Emperor's New Groove and what makes the kitchen scene so funny is that they're all trying to they're they're trying to hide from Isma and Kronk has to step in as the cook in disguise and he's in the back and you know he's just totally rolling with the punches. Here it's weird to see him not in control of the situation like he was and, and just going with the flow. Um, but I feel like there was so much more opportunity for bait and switch that they didn't use with that revolving kitchen door. And would that maybe have gotten a little bit repetitive and, and would this film then really feel like they were recycling all the old material? Yes, but they just did it so well in the first one. I wanted a little bit more of that. I'm fine with you know, the three wives coming together and then everything falling apart and, and the cover being blown that's all totally fine, but it does feel a little bit disjointed when he asked Pacha if, or, or no, Pacha wasn't there. He just asked his wife if she would pose. So yeah, I guess it does set up that Pacha would come in too, dressed as the wife. But I think what bothers me is that the scene didn't really get a chance to breathe because Poppy's just yelling. And I get that he's supposed to be adding to the chaos, but in that final moment before the cheese explosion. Because it's fondue night. We have to mention yes, it's fondue That's night. where the cheese comes from. Um, Kronk comes out of the kitchen again. And, and now you have everybody in one place. There's not that moment of I'm playing the wife. No, you're playing. the. No, you. I thought I was doing it. And instead, Poppy's just screaming and it takes you right out of the scene because then the cheese explodes. So I wish that there was a little bit more of all of the wives interacting without Poppy having this tantrum. Right, because I think it serves the story well that this happens because this is their means of telling Poppy he had all of these things. He's not a disappointment. He gave it all up for us because he cares about us more than himself. Right, and have them all explaining it while they're still in character is that, you know, Kronk is always there to support us, so now in his time of need, we're rallying behind him. Right. Which does eventually come out, 
after Tipo comes back and and it's they're all helping Crunk uh, clean the cheese off of the restaurant. So you do get the visual of look at how much everybody cares about him, which eventually gets him his nice work pal. Yeah, and then Birdwell comes back too. Right. So I think it was all necessary, but I get what you're saying in regards to how they could have played it out a little bit differently. Yeah, it it just should have been so much more funny than it was. Yeah. Uh, we'll move on now to a couple of the songs in the movie. Because they do have two musical numbers. Uh, the first, Did we need them, though? Yeah, I like them, actually. I thought Be True to Your Groove was a fun open for this movie. It felt very much like Hercules. Um, but it that is sort of how Emperor's New Groove starts out, too. It's not as long of a song. But you do have the, the lounge singer that's sort of narrating and introducing Cusco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not Tom Jones like it was in yes. the first film. But I, I thought it was... I liked it, actually. I thought for for a straight-to-video release, I thought there was a lot of production there. Like, I, you wouldn't think that they would have, like, a really solid song that they would write for a direct-to-VHS to or video sequel because I think the perception of those movies is that, is that they're made kind of cheaply. Right, and especially, too, because... For the for the Tom Jones intro to Emperor's New Groove, you get such an elaborate dance number. They're clogging and step dancing, and it it's just really well done. Here, I think it was fitting. You know, same thing. It was sort of a hat tip to the original with a new spin for the sequel. But I guess my bigger issue because it and and again, it's not like it was. Yes, it's a musical number, but it's not a musical number in the sense of the main character bursts out into song. Right. I'm fine using the narrator device. What's weird and disjointed for Emperor's New Groove and for this film is to have one of the characters burst out into song, which Yzma does. And as much as I love a villain number, this one just didn't do it for me. I mean, I, I, I like the lyric, um, I like the style of the song, but the animation, I feel like that left something to be desired because part of it looks like Be Our Guest where they're shooting off the champagne. Well, yeah. it's in Be Our Guest's champagne. In this case, it was the, the potion. Po- the potion, yeah. Yeah. Um, I just don't know that we needed it. I feel like if you have Eartha Kit in a movie, you're going to give her a musical number. True. So feel like a million... I thought it was fine. Um, I liked it. It reminded me of Pete's Dragon and Passamaquoddy. And uh, it did remind me of... I, in fact, I wrote Be Our Guest here for the same thing. And obviously, this movie's not afraid of ripping off other films. I thought it was fine. Did we need it? No. Is the movie worse for it? No. It's sort of just there for me. I mean, yeah, I'll give it that much. If anybody was going to have a song, yes, of course you're going to utilize Eartha Kit. You'll give Yzma her comeback song. Um, you know, I, I would have, I prefer this to seeing either Kronk or or Pasha sing, right? For sure. Um, I just don't know that we needed it. Still, All right, fair enough. Um, Final thoughts. You want, I'll go first. This is a fun movie. 
I think that this... It's one of the only things you could have done with a Kronk movie. I would have liked, as I mentioned earlier, to have seen a backstory as to how he got in with Yzma. I think you could have tied that story into elements of this story. I do like how it expands on the good of the character. It's To me, this movie's sort of like an in-the-middle. It's not great. It's not bad. I think it's better than a lot of other straight-to-video to, to sequels. I think that it's got rewatchability, but not often. This, to me, is a movie I could watch every other year or every third year, where there are other movies that I that I will watch yearly, some more than once a year. This movie, to me, is not quite on that level. But it's... It's not as bad as... Like, Rotten Tomatoes, it's 0%. I don't think it's 0% bad. I don't think... I think the animation, for the most part, looks good. It doesn't feel like a cheap movie, but it does feel like a sequel that went right to video, if that makes any sort of sense. I think 0% is very harsh. Um, Yeah, I I think it's a decent sequel. I mean, it, it could be so much worse... I think story-wise, it does leave a lot to be desired. Um, I think that part of that comes from that it does feel like two separate films that are woven together. Um, and and if we're talking about what it is, I would have almost preferred these be two shorts to maybe intro a feature or something, like what they're doing with Olaf now. Olaf always gets a short now before a new movie comes out. I would have been fine if these were two separate shorts. Um, for what this was, especially that they set it up at the top the same way Emperor's New Groove starts, how did I get here? I think the answer to that question would have been to see him falling in with Yzma and how that whole story played out. And and maybe if we're going to get that full character arc, see him start to take ownership of what he did do even though he was a good person take ownership of what he did do to to fall in with Isma and accept some of the blame and not put it on her and maybe then you get the story that well I had daddy issues and this is why I just wanted to make him proud and you see him come to own that I think would have been a little bit more interesting than what we got but for what it is if you don't take it too seriously it's an entertaining sequel. Yeah. And we want to know what you have to say. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us your review at monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. If you're thinking of taking a Disney trip this year, whether it's Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California, a Disney cruise, or Olani in Hawaii, get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked, reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. News this week, if you are a fan of the Muppets... Well, that's uh, who is. If you're a person, if you're a human being, you're with a a beating heart. You are a fan of the Muppets, and you are excited to hear that the Muppet Show has finally made its way to Disney Plus. I sure was excited. I have been waiting for this. I mean, we have most of them. 
Isn't that but funny? Just... Like, it was still, <laughs> we still wanted it to go to the streaming service. Well, I guess, you know, now I don't have to go get up, open up a DVD, put it in the DVD player. Now I can just click and there it is. And Wally has begun. <laughs> um, but I think it's great. I think it's great, and I'll I'll tell you why. Because other than the other than the fact that I I think the Muppets should be there anyway, because they were acquired by Disney, there is so much more Muppet content for young audiences that yes. didn't get a chance to see the Muppets. I mean, I remember them being on Nickelodeon, right. So I think for younger kids to finally get more Muppet content, what I want, though, is the original Muppet Babies animated television show. That's exactly what I was going to say, because that's what we grew up with. Like, you could still watch the Muppet show almost any time because they were re-airing it, but we also had Muppet Babies. And yeah, I, I think... I I feel like the retro stuff is a better way to get people into Muppets than Muppets now. Yeah, I think so. I agree with you. Um, moving on to the parks, a couple of big things yeah, happening. Yeah, a lot this of parks week. news this week. We Ratatouille's opening eventually. <laughs> we don't know exactly when, but we took a big step forward this week. The construction walls, the fake lattices, the fake the topiaries that were really going to keep people out are gone. You can walk through that area. You can listen to the music. They've started to open some shops back there. I think they've opened a couple of eateries, at least one. So we are getting closer and closer and closer to the opening of this attraction. Now, Disney says summer. I don't buy it. I, I, I don't know. See, here's the thing. I, I go back and forth on this. To me, summer means Memorial Day. Right. But... At the, as of the time of this recording, it's the end of January. I don't know that you're jo- that you're going to like pull those construction walls down so that people can walk up to something and be told, "Come back in four and a half months." Well, I mean, we've joked about it that with Six Flags, they announce something new, they get it up pretty quickly, and then you can just go on it. Disney loves to announce things, let that marinate, take years to build it let that marinate and then the ride opens you know usually it's quite a while like look at how long it was between the great movie ride and getting mickey and minnie's runaway world that's a perfect example because we were like did you really need to close down great movie ride that early we still could have had like a couple of good years with it for as long as it took so i don't know if this is that same type of situation, because they they have the ride in France, so it's not like you're conceptualizing it from square one. You know what the vehicles are. You know what the track is going to be. You just need to get it in. So I can't imagine that now walls are coming down and we're going to have to sit and wait for it a while. The, the photos from that area look beautiful, mm-hmm. especially at sunset because it's on that side of the park. You, you get the sun going down. You get the the death cabs flying back and forth over the water. It looks lovely. I just wonder what Disney categorizes as summer. I honestly, I think they're saying summer because it's a highly anticipated ride. We've known about it for a while. We've known about all the changes that were supposed to come to Epcot. And I feel like 
they feel the need to give us something, but I feel like they're going to pull a Beyonce. I think that they are going to be teasing summer and then it's just going to open. I'm not going to get my hopes up though un- until like they call in Lou Mangello and Panda and, and, Lisa. and Lisa. Yeah. yeah. To do like a media day. Then, then it's probably going to open like the next day if they all get to go see it. Yeah. Other big news in the park. I, and I, as as excited as I am for Ratatouille to open, the other bit of news is the best kind of news possible. Given what we have been going through for just about a year now, the fact that Festival of the Lion King is getting ready to reopen also in the summer is in- it's so encouraging. I'm so excited not only for the show that people get to enjoy it again. I'm excited for the cast members that get to go back to work. And I am so excited for what this means for the bigger picture. Because I have to imagine if they are able to do this for an indoor venue. And that that venue holds more people, I think, than you realize. So it's you're huge. still going to get a good audience and and allow them to be distance and pull this off safely. But I have to imagine that Fantasmic is right around the corner because that's an amphitheater. So you already have the benefit of you're not closing people, you know, you're not enclosing them into one space. It's outside. The only thing that may get a little tricky is because of the water and the pyrotechnics. That's probably a lot more expensive to put on than Festival of the Lion King, where you're really just paying the actors and there's not a lot of sets and the, the production, I mean, the production value is absolutely incredible with what you're doing with just a few actors. Right. So being that Fantasmic is a, a bigger production as far as all of the, you know, the, the elaborate stunts that they pull off during the course of Fantasmic, if they're doing that twice and you can't fill that to fill that to capacity, I don't know that that's going to be worth doing for them. Here's the thing. With Festival of the Lion King, they are altering some of the choreography so that the performers are a little bit more distanced. Obviously, they're going to change the seating arrangements so that people are distanced. And you're right. You can do that in Fantasmic. Let's say you block off a, oh, you know, I don't know. Let's call it a, a six, six to eight feet. Per group. Mm -hmm. Now, a group could be one person. A group could be seven people with a stroller. You you don't know. And I think that's where it gets a little dicey. But you could do that and stagger everything so that nobody is sitting directly in front of another person and vice versa. Nobody's sitting directly behind somebody else and it's spaced out. The only issue they're going to run into there, it's easier to do there. I think then Festival of the Lion King, just in terms of, as you said, it's an open-air amphitheater, and you don't have performers necessarily as close as they are in Festival of the Lion King. I mean, yes, you do have some dancing scenes um, when they're on the floats, but you could you could alter those, or it could just be that they wave, or you could cut those out completely and right. just alter the soundtrack. But you're right, I think it's the production cost with the pyrotechnics, and because they would be so limited to the amount of people, I feel like they'd almost need to add performances, which then makes that it more expensive. That gets very costly. You know, when you think about just 
the cost of the production itself. But I think if there's one fireworks show that's coming back sooner than the others, now they have been testing fireworks at night, so obviously they're getting ready for something. I'm going to take a stab and say if one thing comes back before the others, it probably is phantasmic because you do have an amphitheater where you can control the crowd a little bit more. But, listen, we're, we're trending in the right direction, and that, I think, is the most important thing here. Right? Absolutely. Thank you guys for joining us this week. We have something very special for you. We have a giveaway for you guys this week. We have Monoreal Radio t-shirts that we're going to be giving away. We're excited to finally be doing this again. I, I will say, please be a little patient. Obviously, the mail is running a little slow right now. We all know that. Um, so we're going to get the prize out to you as quickly as we can. But here's what you're in the running for. You are in the running for a Monoreal Radio t-shirt. You are also in the running for one of those amazing straw charms from Hidden Mickey Supply Co. That is going to be your prize pack. And it's very easy to win because it's very easy to enter. All you have to do is share this week's episode or maybe even like on an Instagram story, tag that you're listening to the episode. That works just as well. Just make sure that you tag Monoreal Radio. Let us see that you have shared or are listening to the show. And you have until Monday, February 1st at 11.59 p.m. to get that tag in. As long as you get it in before then, you are entered to win. And we will draw a winner at random. And we will announce it on next week's show that will drop on Tuesday, February 2nd. Groundhog Day. Because we haven't been in Groundhog Day for long enough. Shall we tell them what we have planned for February? Yeah. I think we kind of have to. You, you want to take it or you want me to take it? I'll, t- I'll take it. I'll Go take ahead. it. We are doing What the February, which I am so excited about. Part of what has made Disney Plus so interesting, and we have said so many times are films that were buried for a long time. I'm not going to say exactly which films we're doing quite yet because I kind of want there to be a surprise element. But the point is, not everything is like the Muppets where it's like this amazing hidden treasure trove that, you know, younger people are eventually going to stumble across. Right. Some of these are, what were they thinking? And we're going to delve into not one, not two, not three, but four of those movies coming up in the month of February. Right. So you won't get a roulette in February, but we will still do a giveaway. It's a fair trade and we'll still do a giveaway with, uh, with the T-shirt and a, uh, a straw charm from Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Guys, but otherwise, for the, for the rest of the year, yes. we will be doing our roulette giveaway. Yes, but thank you so much for joining us this and every week on Monorail Radio. Don't forget to follow us on social media. Like, subscribe, and rate the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. And, of course, for links to the podcast, where you can find it, the email, the social media, you can always go online to monorealradio.com. Thank you guys so much again. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. 
On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.